Hi, today's December 7th, 2023. This is Todd Agasa Ward, podcast 487. That got nice. Yeah, that looks right. 487. We've done a lot of these. We did not have the good Dr. John Westfall here today because I have a, well, not the podcast with uh, John Westfall or not special, but I've got a special podcast today. I've got uh, two people from Google. They help me learn more about uh, what they've been doing in the real world with uh, AI, and not just the you know large language model stuff, but uh, the stuff that you know before all of this this blew up. And so we've got with us today, and please correct me if I get anybody's name wrong, because people always get my name wrong. Um, Steve Luhan, uh, Google Customer Engineering Manager. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Todd. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, the name. Uh, was that? Oh, did I? Oh, man, I'm proud. I'm really proud. <laughs> Not many do. You nailed it. Uh, I even spelled it out phonetically, so I would try to get it close. <laughs> and, of course, I'm going to mess up Daniel, I've known for years. Uh, Daniel Liu, uh, Google Enterprise Architect. So, welcome. Thank, thank you so much for taking time to speak with, you know, uh, the poor old decrepit senior citizen um, to try to educate me about, about what Google's doing with AI. So, um, Daniel and I have known each other for a number of years, even before you were at, at Google. And, um, and in recent years, in previous to becoming a decrepit senior citizen, when I was just a decrepit senior citizen, I guess, um, we actually worked on a large project for the state of Hawaii. And that's how I got to know him and, uh, and value and appreciate him. Uh, so thank you for joining me, Daniel. I know you guys are both super busy. But today, you know, I just wanted to learn what I've missed since I've retired <laughs> at the end of 2022 and actually things I missed while I was working because, you know, there was so much going on. You guys have so many projects in the real world. This is not speculation. This is not roadmap stuff. This is like, this is what we've done. It's working. And so just, you know, we can talk if you want to start with, I don't know, with safe travels or maybe with the human services stuff you've been doing, um, please. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you, Todd, for inviting us, me and Steve, uh, on this podcast here. Um, maybe let's start with the, the safe travel apps. Um, I know AI has been a big thing uh, since last year, a year ago. When people are talking about AI, I think we are just talking about more of the new, fresh AI, the gen AI. Yeah. But a lot of times, I think we're not aware of AI has been there for quite some time. Yes. And we have done AI for many projects for the state and local government here. Uh, we're not aware of. So, I like to maybe give a couple of examples, you know, specifically for the state of Hawaii during COVID. Um, you're probably familiar with uh, the state travel app, and uh, mm-hmm. everyone has visited Hawaii during the COVID time. Probably have using that apps where people come to an island, and you've got to be quarantined for two weeks if you don't show your uh, COVID test initially, and later on to show your vaccination card. Um, I think on average we have about maybe. Um, 30,000 visitors before COVID. So imagine that all those people arrive on the same day, go through airport, showing those documents. I think they can be waiting in line for two days before they can check out, right? <laughs> so uh, the idea which is really, um, if we can use some technology like AI to scan those documents and extract those information out and then generate some kind of code and to just show to the airport uh, personnel stand that can be just out of the airport quickly. And so in, in that use cases, we build this app in about uh, six weeks and it, it's actually using the AI technology that could provide by Google called Doc AI. Uh, what that does is basically it's reading all kinds of uh, uh, COVID test forms from 
all different organizations uh, worldwide, really. You know, people travel from all places and the ability to, you know, using AI to learn, read those documents and sometimes including handwritings. If you do, if you remember that uh, vaccination card initially, that was just a sticker with, you know, some yes. handwriting that's in there. So the AI does a really good job of reading that uh, to getting those information out so that you get a nice green QR code. And then after that, you know, you go to the airports and, you know, just scan that green QR code, the exit airports, be able to enjoy the beach right away. So that's just one of the perfect example using that. And then the other thing I think is also, maybe we can touch that a little bit later, is that we also use another AI technology people may not be aware of is what sometimes we call a context on AI technology, where, um, because you know, there's a lot of confusion during the, that COVID time when people travel, you know, there is some law about, you know, you have to travel you know, for 72 hours or 36 hours on you know, when your COVID test is available. Mm-hmm. Oh, valid, right? If I'm traveling from New York, have a connection flying to Seattle, to Hawaii. So where my starting point is, so we actually establish a hotline, uh, but not using human to answer those calls, but using uh, a, a voice virtual agent to answer those calls, be able to give them the, the most update information. Uh, and the, so that's the, the, another AI technology I've been used. Yeah, that was a huge one. Um, that, that played a large role, not just for for visitors, um, who are actually just coming in, but also for visitors having all kinds of questions. So we could direct them to the correct human resource when needed. Um, we used that, for, I think, for uh, directing people to like the, the Hawaii um, Tourism Authority and the labor and industrial relations people and so forth. That, that played a huge, huge role. That, along with your partners, you had some really great partners that you worked with, I remember, and very... And, and that whole six-week thing, and you know, I just want to stress that this was this was like a project that was thrown together or thrown in a lap. And um, in July, I still have, yeah, because we had been in like a no-fly situation until from, let's see, when was the, the I think we the stay-at-home started in end of March, early April, and we had nobody flying in or very few people flying into Hawaii. I think there are two flights a day. I remember being sent down to Honolulu International Airport, the Daniel K. Interna- Inouye International Airport, with one of my the branch chiefs that works worked for me, and we we went through the back rooms and took a look at the people disembarking. There was no vaccine yet, so everybody had to have a card, and it was it was or maybe it was a vaccine, but it was really wild. And it was um, I remember seeing somebody arrested <laughs> because you also needed a place to go. Um, and we were trying to say, well, you know, all this manual stuff, as you said, it, it took forever. We followed the line as they disembarked and just went with them. Um, it really solved a huge problem. You know, Hawaii is most of our economy is tourism based, even if you're not a pilot or a working for an airline, or whatever, you know, your stores and restaurants and all that. So it was a huge, huge blow when nobody was coming and to get people be able to come here safely, uh, was a huge, a huge, huge uh, feet for from you know from what you guys and your partners did with us um, and restarted the economy. So it was very very important. Yeah, anyway, I read something that it was like a ninety four percent impact on travel oh, yeah. tourism and why. I mean, obviously huge. And I'll add a little bit on to what Daniel had said. I mean, you know, I cover you know really uh, my team covers the entire West, so everything from Texas to Montana, you know, to Hawaii, and. And context under AI was huge for us across a number of different states and within a number of states, a number of different departments. And 
one of the states I'm real close to, their labor department, they went from 700 calls a day to 27,000 calls a day. And they just simply didn't have the people to answer yeah. that many calls. And people were calling, you know, citizens were calling hundreds of times a day, just trying to get, you know, not get a busy tone. And, you know, it was real interesting to see, again, you know, it was the times of COVID. So we were implementing everything very quickly. And, and the state stood up a, you know, a virtual call center in, uh, it was about six weeks as well. And what was interesting in their approach is they, they turned everything into a callback. Nobody could really talk to an agent right oh. just because they couldn't manage it. Right. And right. so with the virtual agent, what they found is about 85% of the people calling in could get their answer resolved by the virtual agent. You know, did I yes. file my application for unemployment insurance correctly? When can I expect a check? What's the next steps? Things like that. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. In those situations, there are really only 10 or 15 key questions that right. need answers. Right. And the and the edge cases are well like edge cases and they're like a small fraction percentage. So yep. that that was a that was a huge, huge thing for, for us. We didn't use it in that way, but we used it in different ways to handle technical support and all of that. Yep. By the way, Daniel, you know, you're talking about scanning the vaccination cards. You might recall I didn't actually see them myself because you know it's but I heard stories that people instead of sending a, a taking snapping a photo of their vax card for uh for verification by the app. We had photos of people's knees, and we had some electric bills, <laughs> all kinds of things. Uh, so it was it was challenging for sure. You know, it wasn't just reading off a card. You, you might be reading off an electrical bill and going, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think on the, on the hand, the AI technology is really improved over the time. I was just talking about that doc, document AI technology that Google provides. Um, of course, reading that. Uh, test results is one of the examples, but the same AI technology now you can read a driver's license and uh, passports, including both U.S. and the international passports. So sometimes it's very hard to you know validate whether you know the ID is a fake one, a real one, and our technology nowadays can uh -huh. even detect whether it's a fake ID or real ID. Wow, it's like the scourge of teenagers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just, uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and I know you were, you've also done some other work with other groups aside from the one I, I formerly worked with um, before I retired. And so is there, are there any others that you can, that you are able to speak of? Maybe not naming names, but some ex other examples, because I'm really fascinated by what else you guys did over the last couple of years with, with technology. Most people, I think, are not aware you, you even have. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe I can talk about another exciting project, just like Safe Travel app we did uh, for the states. Uh, that's uh, we're working with uh, DOT on two projects. One is on the climate insight, uh, how climate change, such as you know sea level rise, lava flow, uh, you know the Wi-Fi, landslides, and all that, the climate impact on you know, infrastructure, and how does that impact uh, the life of the people that lives out in Hawaii. Um, the other is also uh, really close to dear to to almost all of us is on the at the safety analytics side of it. You know, that there's a vision zero for all to reduce a fatal crash. And uh, so we're also using, you know, Google's technology, but you know, this is more about, I'll say, uh, um, what I call this is a transportation data hub where we collect a bunch of data sets from the states and also Google provides quite a bit of data sets from climate data, DOT assets, uh, 
traffics and also collect, you know, you know, display those from Google Maps, Google Earth Engine. There's quite a bit of data sets that's in there so that we can collect those data to help, you know, the state to make some of those decisions. Um, so um, there are many areas we can talk about, but, you know, as far as from the AI perspective, um, I'll give one example here. Um, we're using a technology that uh, is, we call this like a vision AI. Um, part of this is, you know, if you remember that one of the very busy, you know, uh, road is from the airports to, to Waikiki downtown yes. at the Nemus Highway. And this, I think University of Hawaii has uh, collected some of those camera data and uh, capture those. And so we use those data. It's great uh, data sources to analyze those videos so that we can figure out, you know, the, what kind of cars are going through those intersections, right. the speed, and also maybe including that the bikes, pedestrian, uh, uh, if someone's doing jaywalking. So you collect those data. So from the videos, you can do some of those uh, safety analytics side of it and look at whether, you know, people doing heartbreaking, you know, stuff suddenly. So you can do those uh, crash analysis to, you know, improve safety. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, there are, you know, there are some cities in the U.S. and I know in China when I was there where jaywalking is, is it doesn't appear to be a crime. You know? <laughs> 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 I used to just, you know, like, well, they're walking. I'll walk behind them. You know, they must know what they're doing. Yeah. But uh, that's no, that's really fascinating. I remember that the uh, the then deputy director of, of uh, highways, the current director of the Department of Transportation, was talking to me about some of the stuff he was planning to do. And so it's really great to hear what actually happened after that. Yeah, and, and the, both are we have established uh, like two portal, and so the citizen actually can go there to look at you know some others. The climate changes impacts, mm -hmm. you know, our sea level rise. And we also introduced quite a bit of the equity data in there too, so that you can kind of combine those data to do a very different kind of analysis on both climate infrastructure and also on safety analytics. Yeah. And I remember, um, I don't know if he they were using your data, but I remember Department of Transportation Highways also had some really interesting traffic pattern analysis sort of before and during uh, the pandemic. Uh, showing the you know, traffic pattern changes that were just unbelievably dramatic, um, and so that you yeah, really fascinating stuff. You know, it's sort of a, you know, the 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 terrible misfortune of pandemic itself created this living laboratory for transportation theory. I think about what happens when you know all the cars disappear and then when they all reappear, kind of thing. And yeah, what can we do about it? So um, really fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I think what I really like, and Daniel alluded to it earlier, a lot of this is what maybe you'd call your traditional AI, which really has been around for years. And now you look at you know where we have pivoted in the last, you know, especially just this year, with that you know move to generative AI. That you know a lot of the stuff that we've done for a lot of our customers, it still required a you know for a lot of our state and local customers, yeah, you know, we didn't need a data scientist, but we needed folks who understood the data. They knew where it was. They knew how to interact with it, whether it be in spreadsheets or tables or whatever. And now with the additional, you know, impacts of generative AI, and now you can open it up to the business users to ask questions in a natural language and interact with that data. It's been real cool to see kind of the next involvement or evolvement, excuse me, of a lot of these projects in terms of okay, well now how do we really open it up to the business side and let them just kind of run with it? Because, you know, they don't have to understand code or they don't have to write SQL or they don't have to know kind of the, where is all this data being sourced from and integrate everything together? 
So it's really cool to see how we're really enabling the business now, taking that traditional AI to the next level to really open up some capabilities and and honestly allow you know the business side to ask really you know deep questions of the data and surfacing insights that they really kind of didn't even know existed. You know, somebody back in operations or maintenance or somebody you know behind the scenes probably knew where it was, but how they've been able to pull it together at the business level has been real fun. Absolutely, for those projects. Yeah, yeah, we've we've gone. You know, as I as an old person myself, um, you know, I I did uh, some early AI stuff back in the late '80s, early '90s in grad school, and it, they look like like you know little children's toys compared to what's available now. You know, essentially, when I was playing with neural nets and stuff, I could maybe do, you know, a little tree of uh, multiple trees of nets, and it's like, oh, this is cool. I can tell what color I'm talking about. You know. <laughs> And now it's just like, what is this? It's a dog. What kind of dog is it? You know, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's been really fascinating, as you said. Like I said, I not needing. I used to code in Lisp and um, Prolog way back when, and not having to do that now and be able to have something functional like right away, or not even have to build anything, uh, not even no code, just no no code. You know, just yeah. ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, just remarkable to have seen what's happened in the last 30, 40 years um, of my lifetime. Yeah. Well, and even the capability to create, you know, code, you know, based on natural language, you know, it's such a good way to get, you know, new folks up to speed on a technology. If they don't know a language, right, they don't have to necessarily go take a class. They can interact with the IDE by speaking with it. And then they understand and learn, okay, based on the questions I'm asking, here's how the code kind of gets built. It kind of gives them the visibility into that without having to take, you know, a, a course call, you know, a college course or something like that to do it. Right. And, and so it's it's been interesting to see how our customers have talked about it and how it's going to enable them to really almost focus on training a little bit more than they have in the past and not have to rely on tribal knowledge and things like that, but allow Gen AI to kind of help, you know, get people a little bit more uh, in depth in a a language they don't know or they aren't real comfortable with, and they can be a lot more successful a lot more quickly. So it's cool to see it from that angle as well. Yeah. Boy, I wish I had that 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. have some, some snarky experts saying, why don't you understand it? Aren't you smart enough? <laughs> I'm just thinking about on that line, you know, the, the trend that um, Steve is talking about, you know, that some of the coding stuff with the new AI technology I'm just thinking of, there are many of those new potential uh, art of possibilities. You know, a lot of times it was talking about, for example, like mainframe modelization, right? Yeah. There's a very challenge, difficult project to do, yes. uh, that, or imagine that today, how many people knows about COBOL assembly, right? JCL, that's so hard with this new generation that's coming, but how can we even modelize those mainframe legacy system, right? Then. But if using in the JI to do some of those, you know, self-learning process that be able to extract those logic code out, right? That I think that that's a great uh, use case scenario. Um, the other thing is in terms of the way traditionally how we uh, you know do reports, like for example, uh, ask question. You you, you got to be you know a SQL expert, right? Learn how to write a, a SQL statement. But I think right. a people can probably do very well with a two-table join, but beyond three, five-table job, going with a, like a subquery that that's pretty convoluted, right? But that, imagine that capability of you know using JI to just kind of conversationally ask a question, 
Star right. Trek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The AI will struct the SQL sentence and going back into the uh, you know, back end, whether it's a relational database or other form of database, and be able to you know extract those uh, information out really quickly. As it's a whole new way of in, interface with the computer and with the database. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting as you mentioned that because um, previously three of the teams I managed were in support mostly of the mainframe, not just but you know eighty percent of their time was spent managing a mainframe. This is three separate teams, uh, applications team, systems team, and operational team. And the biggest problem with the mainframe was not the hardware. You know, I read a lot of stuff, oh, it's antiquated, blah, blah. No, mainframes are actually kind of fantastic, um, but you can't find anybody to actually do something with them. Um, you know, everybody that we that had the knowledge we needed looked like me. Basically, they're old. And um, there's nothing wrong with being old and being an old person myself, not being ageist, but that's just a fact. And it's getting harder and harder to find people, yep. which means you have to pay more and more per hour <laughs> yeah, exactly. to, to get people that know what they're doing to do what we need. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge to be able to not just teach somebody to do it, but even, as you, I think, alluded to earlier, help with the modernization project. Like, what is it this piece of cobalt <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's doing. There's no comments, you know, and most COBOL is well commented, but you know, sometimes, right? Or the comments make no sense at all to me and I don't get it. And, you know, what is this job control language you speak of that JCL you're talking about? I know I said something, oh, look, you have a missing card. And like, what? Well, what's a card? <laughs> no, that line, that used to be a card. You know? <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I hear you. It was a huge problem for us. We spent, like a lot of money on expertise and um, you know they're, these people are disappearing they're retiring they're passing away um, it's really tough I mean on a very very serious note we had two contractors pass away during my last project uh, they're both mainframe people both excellent yeah and uh, very hard to find somebody to you know step in and step up to what they're doing because they're just so knowledgeable and there aren't very many of those folks left yeah, and and until you can fully get off the mainframe, that's a huge expense too. Uh, it, it's, it is. You're the last agency left on it when a state maybe you know initially had ten or twelve agencies. Yes, but, you know, you're paying the bill, and you know you can't really you know downsize it like you may hope. Yeah, <laughs> to cut back costs because yeah. it just simply takes time to get off it. And to your point, if you don't have folks who can do it well, it extends that time frame. Yes, there are a lot of challenges with it. Right. Or if modernization fails because you don't have enough people to explain right. to you what it is the old system does. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but what we did, by the way, Steve, is my last big project, uh, or the big, my last of the biggest projects, I should say, was to move the mainframe physically out of the data center. Mainframes. We had yeah. three of them. I moved them out of the data center into not, I, I want to say cloud, but really it's a managed service. And you and I know the difference between that. And so now they are in you know, there was a primary and backup system in two different states. They're on a huge mainframe, you know, orders of magnitude larger than what we're using. And we can dial down resources. Yeah. Or I should say, they can, I don't have to do it anymore. They can dial down resources as applications leave. So, okay, now we need, you know, less CPU, we need yep. less storage, we need less I.O. And they get uh, charged proportionally less until they can do the final shutoff. So, well, we, they can't, you know, like you said, you can't downsize as a physical mainframe, which is why I, I insisted. I had a lot of people very angry with me because I kept insisting we need to move off the physical mainframe yeah. so we could peacefully uh, downsize as time went on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
But yeah, that's got to happen. And I'm not again. I I think mainframes are great. I just you just can't find anybody to actually run them yeah. <laughs> that we can afford. <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah. So that so the Vision AI thing. I remember the Doc AI was fantastic. Um, and then all the sort of support systems that were built around it to send text messages based on the apps and take in messages. It was. Uh, I think we got the five-digit, uh, five-digit SMS number for Hawaii. I, I was able to score that. I said, "Well, you can use it for other things after the pandemic's over." You know, it'd be great to own Hawaii. So we own that. Well, I, I'm coming to Hawaii on Sunday, and I was really hoping they'd extend the Safe Travels app to uh, to allow me to digitally take care of my declaration, you know, paper that I have to fill out on my way into the island. Um, but someday. Someday we go. I thought they did that. I thought we did that actually. The, Daniel, you've been traveling here recently. Uh, not yet. Oh, shoots. Yeah, because that's a piece of cake. <laughs> um, yeah, and I should note, you know, I as I said, I went down to the airport to go see how it was done manually before Google and your partners got, you know, got things rolling. And uh, I have photos of stacks of paper being literally stacks of paper from the ground up being processed by five beleaguered. I know people working like nearly round the clock, you know, their eyes are bleary from looking at monitors and uh, it was just a wild situation to imagine what they had to do, man. It was just like I had literally a head full of people yeah, processing, you know, lots and lots of incoming people. So that was you fantastic. Know, and that was one benefit, you know, like you said, as bad as the pandemic was, I think the one, you know, there was a, po there were some positive outcomes for our customers, you know, state local type customers that did come out of it. I think they recognized the fact that they could do things pretty quickly. Yes. You know, we've, we've since gone back to our traditional procurement cycles and things like that. Sure. But I think a lot of our customers have, have realized that they can, understanding that things like mainframe modernization can take years to accomplish, yes. you know, because of resources and time and, you know, just so much you know, backlog what they had to have in the first place, but now they can attack it from more of a modular perspective. And so we're seeing a lot of people's, you know, much as I, I take the safe travel story and as much as that kind of paper processing, you know, if we can take that out of a traditional mainframe, you know, application around UI or, or, you know, Medicaid determination, whatever it may be, and it, and effectively say, well, at least let's make your agents a lot more effective and efficient because we can insert or inject, you know, document AI into the process and some workflow to make that, you know, happen a lot more quickly. It allows people to get to the benefits more quickly. You know, they can upload what they need and then figure out, oh, wait, shoot, I still need to upload a driver's license. Or I uploaded something, but it wasn't quite read right. You know, by the time somebody goes- Uploaded my knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, by the time they go to actually like interact with somebody at a county office or a state office, you know, a lot of that work can be taken care of already. And so it's been fun to see. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we all use these systems too. So it's nice to see that, you know, we're able to interact with these systems a lot more effectively and efficiently by just even plugging in just new capabilities. And oftentimes AI is underneath covers doing a lot of that, you know, efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. That as, uh, yeah, as, as we've said, you know, several times now, but can't be stressed enough. As terrible as the pandemic was, it really forced a lot of people to rethink the way we did things. Yeah. And for those of us who wanted to do things but were kind of stopped, <laughs> you know, the context center AI, the doc AIs, the vision AI, um, even even much simpler, well, maybe well, and maybe not simpler, but non-AI technology like switching to voice over IP for all our mm -hmm. telephone because people weren't in the office anymore. Um, that I could not have convinced people to do that 
previous to the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but during the pandemic, look, hardly any of us are in here. Do you want to use your personal phone number to make business calls and then get business calls? <laughs> you know, probably not. So let's all switch. And uh, it was a hard sell internally, but you know, we switched our whole department to uh, to voice over IP. And pe- once we had it, it was like, wow, this is this is you know best thing since sliced bread. I don't, can't live without it. <laughs> yeah, I think another area of AI uh, that's being Quite popular lately is really in terms of the translations. Yeah, remember that even back in a uh, maybe before pan- pandemics at ETS, I think we were working on translation projects. But yes. the translation is being so big, especially with you know the Jet AI comes in, it can training a much large data sets. Yeah, and the whole uh, ability to translate documents, all just do real time translations for. No, to do very accurate document translation in very specific domain for doc, government documents. That's also being big now. Yeah, well, one of the things, um, I think I remember what you're talking about, one of the things we were trying to do was to have on-the-fly translation of state web pages. And um, because we have a lot of visitors, of course, and we have a lot of we have a lot of residents who are non-native English speakers for whom it would be easier to you know read in... Uh, Mandarin or in Japanese or Korean or, you know, whatever. Um, we have you know, a huge Asian population here. Um, or, you know, some of the Western languages like Spanish and so forth. So that was, and, but like you said, in the early days, it was eh, <laughs> you know, with a small language model, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we had some native Mandarin speakers take a look at the translations and go, oh no, that's kind of rude, you know, <laughs> to say it that way. <laughs> um, so yeah, it must be tremendous now, and I think some people even doing like language learning as you know, as individuals uh, using these models. So it's been it's kind of yeah. really fantastic transformation of the industry in the last couple of years. Yeah, we've seen a couple of big practice over here. Of course, you know, document translation also has been big, where yeah. you can translate thousands of documents mm-hmm. in the real time, and. Yeah. The great things about that is, you know, if you have documents with embedded with pictures, graphs, and all that, if you have an application that has, you know, form check boxes, when you do those translation into multiple language, it doesn't lose its original format. Yeah, and the AIs continue to learn in new vocabulary, whether it's in healthcare, in transportation, in legals. It's just, you know, always have this human the loop feedbacks into the AI, so that translation is getting better and better. Um, same with voice, actually, for, as we're talking about the CCI contact center virtual agent, um, it also does a great things to, you know, not only speak English, but also speak multiple language. Mm-hmm. And actually for, uh, for the Maui fire two months ago, we was able to establish a, a, a call center um, really quickly in, in less than 40 hours, but uh, with uh, five language supported. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, they can be done so much better now than even just five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a, a truly, truly amazing. By the way, I do have one request if you can pass it back to the, the Google language folks. You know, one of the languages you're missing that Microsoft has, you know, not to invoke them too often in this conversation, Microsoft Translator can do Klingon. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Both written and spoken. So, right. you know, <laughs> I'm filling out the feature request right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, yeah, go, go check it out if it doesn't set off security alarms within Google. <laughs> but they do do Klingon. So it's, and it's been handy. I have sent email to people in Klingon because I was just annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Here, you figure out what I'm saying because yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I probably shouldn't even be writing this. <laughs> um, you know, and before we, we get, uh, you know, towards the end, and I, I, again, I'm very thankful for the time you, you two are spending with me to educate me. I, I got to ask, you know, so Google Gemini was announced yesterday. Bard still is telling me I don't have access to Gemini in my account, but I hopefully it's coming soon. Um, is there anything you can say about it that, uh, you know, I, there's so many videos or there's lots of places people can go to get yeah. good information directly from Google right now on yeah. YouTube, for example. But I don't know, just wanted to see if you have anything to add to what's the multitude of things that's been available in the last 24 hours. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to see more and more information come out, you know, definitely, you know, after the first of the year. But I even think, you know, even with the holidays over the next few weeks, I think we'll see more and more. And, and you know, I think we'll see, you know, really it's, it's our latest model and it's, um, you know, it's meant to be multimodal. I think, yeah. you know, we really recognize the fact that, you know, it's important to be able to to ingest, you know, text, code, audio, images, video, all that, but within one interaction and be able to, you know, ask questions of it and have it help, you know, kind of interact with all that data and just think all those different forms. I think one of the things that's also really neat is it's, um, you know, we've optimized it for three sizes. It's, 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 you know, it's a model, but we've optimized it for that ultra kind of that data center type use mm -hmm. where, you know, you know, when I look at like our, you know, education customers and healthcare customers, right, that's where they're using it. But then we have a pro and a nano version that's much more kind of, you know, a, a local data center or even on my, you know, device to be able to run against a model and, and train a model and interact with it. I mean, that is really cool to see how our state and local customers will take that and, and think of ways to improve their capabilities, you know, at that level, you know, when it's not just a, a research community, which a lot of LLMs have kind of been targeted at, you know, to start with. So it'll be really fun to see how we incorporate that into our discussions with our customers and businesses and things that we as citizens all take advantage of. So super exciting with that. I think, you know, the one thing we always think about is the security, right? So yeah. Everybody, how do we train it? Where does it get its its data from and all that? And, and this is by far the model that we have put through the most rigor from a security perspective to get to this point. And we'll do so going forward because we know how important that is. So it's been cool to see as we have kind of, you know, pivoted, oh, not pivoted, but, you know, really amped up Gen AI right. along with the rest of the market is that, you know, responsible AI and our security and, and just privacy, you know, the things we're thinking about are, are always at the very edge of what we're thinking of. We know that if we screw any of those up, you know, we're going to be in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. So it's great to see the focus continue there. But, you know, I think I, one of the videos I saw you know, they made a cool comment about, you know, hey, just during their lunch break, they, you know, they basically ingested 200,000 documents, filtered it down to 250 that uh, was appropriate based on the question that they asked. And then it summarized all that. You know, that's pretty nice. cool when you think you can do some of that, you know, over a hamburger or a coffee <laughs> when, you know, that used to take us a long, long time to do it. Um, so it's really cool to see how, you know, we're going to start taking that to the next level and apply Gemini on Bard on our consumer side. But then to our other gen AI, kind of the vertex AI, the more traditional, you know, enterprise type approach, 
you know, cause I mean, honestly, when we look back at, you know, a lot of the things we're talking to our customers about at Gen AI is, Hey, how do we read through the, you know, thousands of contracts we've created to figure out, Hey, can we write those contracts or, you know, pre-write some of the contract language, RFPs, you know, stuff like that. So to be able to train, you know, ingest this multitude of data into your corpus from neat. tables and documents and wherever it may come from images and video and train your own corpus and then be able to make yourself a lot more efficient. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be really exciting to see where it takes our state local customers. Um, and I think Google, e even for personal stuff, I think Google Notebook LM can do some of that now. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I just want to say, you know, the, the, uh, Gemini nano. So, you know, I bought this seven, a pixel seven, a earlier this year. But the Nano only works on 8 Pro. <laughs> it's time for an upgrade, Todd. It's time oh, for an upgrade. Six, six months old. <laughs> and I guess it won't run on my Pixel tablet either, so I'm, I'm kind of bummed. But... Yeah, I would say give it time. It'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I went all in, right, this year. I got a Pixel 7a and I got a Pixel tablet, and <laughs> uh, which is great, by the way. Really enjoying it. Although I would do wish, again... A note for your tablet team. I really wish you could do an external video out. <laughs> um, but anyway, anyway, folks, uh, listen. Thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for educating me and what's been happening, and what is happening, uh, especially stuff I missed since I retired uh, end of last year. It's been uh, very educational. Me, I hope, our, as I always say, John and the good Doctor John Westfall. I always say we hope our fives of listeners are similarly educated and. Um, We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Thanks. Todd. Thanks.